This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is The Larry Kudlow Show. Happy New Year, New Year's Eve. I was talking about a prosperity agenda, which is something my dear friend Arthur Laffer has been talking about uh, on the TV show, and actually for the better part of the last 50 years anyway. Art Laffer is chairman and chief economist of Laffer Associates. Uh, he's a recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and he has a new book out, which is a very important book. It's called Taxes Have Consequences, an Income Tax History of the United States. Art Laffer, thank you. Happy New Year. Love, love, love. Happy New Year, Larry. Love, love, love. Right back at you. <laughs> All right. Um, so I was talking about the Laffer idea. We need a uh, prosperity agenda. The GOP in particular has to become stewards of economic prosperity. And the other point you've made, which is equally important, is as we look into these Republican primaries now, uh, the person that's going to win is the person that has a prosperity agenda. Uh, Joe Biden's first full year, 2022, uh, so far the first three quarters of the year, there's been no growth, 0.3 GDP. Uh, with an inflation rate of about seven and a half percent, and the Bidens don't—they show no signs of wanting a growth uh, a growth agenda. They're more interested in income redistribution and central planning at the federal level. Anyway, Art, what do you think about this whole story? Well, I think you're right. I mean, I think the Biden agenda has not been very good. I mean, it's got all the classic mistakes. They've raised taxes. Uh, they've increased spending. Uh, they've let monetary policy go crazy to inflation. Uh, they've re-regulated the economy. You can look at the ledgers on there and on regulations. It's just increased. And they've been very restrictive on trade, Larry. All five of those are direct assaults on the five pillars of prosperity. And that's what this administration has done. And with, co- with Congress being complicit, by the way, and with the Fed being complicit as well, And, you know, we've got to reverse that. I mean, those will have very long-term negative consequences for the country, for our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. And we need to reestablish economic growth. And, you know, reestablishing will will result in a very sharp turnaround in prosperity, just the way it did with Reagan. You know, um, our friend James Freeman wrote this up, a good column on his Best of the Web art. It's called A Reagan Lesson for Biden. Uh, and the subhead is a booming economy is the recipe for re-election. What do you think? Pretty good. I love huh? it. I love it. But, you know, I, exactly I wish right. more Republicans believed it. You know, I, I, <laughs> I talk with lots of people all the time and, oh, yeah, we don't hate Democrats, but we hate their policies. Well, no, we're not the hating party, Larry. We should not be the hating party. We're the party of prosperity. We're the party of guardians of, of wealth, income, jobs and low inflation. That's what we are. And if, if you're tall and want to be a big tax cutter, you're in our party. If you're short and you want to tax cut, you're in our party. You know, we need to be exclusively for prosperity and not on all these other silly issues. I, I was just seeing a list of all the investigations the Republicans are planning on doing in the next six months, a year. It's like 15 of them, Larry. That's not how you win. That's not how you even serve humanity. 
Uh, that's just revenge and anger and hatred. We need to be pro-growth, Larry. And I, I do a, a, agree with you on the monitoring and being, uh, you know, oversight. That's very important. But not these going back stuff. It's just wrong. What, um, what should they lead with? I think they should lead with the five pillars of prosperity. Yep. There, there are a couple of, uh, of specific uh, incomes policy, policies that we need to do. Uh, decontrol, I mean, by that. Uh, we need price transparency in health care. Hmm. Healthcare is a huge share of the U.S. economy, something like 20% of it, and there are no prices available. We need to follow Trump's executive order and require all healthcare providers to provide transparency, what the prices are, how much cash you have to pay for this, that, or the other, what the insurance re, uh, reimbursements are, so we all know what's going on so we can make good decisions. We also need to do something for the inner cities, for poverty areas, which is enterprise zones. We need a low brace tax rate for people who live in the enterprise zones and who work in the enterprise zones. We need good border control, not to stop people from coming in this country, but to be in control of who comes in and what uh, contributions they will to our society, as well as to their welfare as well. We, we need to be compassionate through prosperity, not through welfare. Didn't hear that message during the campaign much. No, you didn't. You know, not at all. Not at all. Know. And although a couple of the commentators around have all said, "Oh, that's what the Republicans ran on," my foot. The mm. Republicans ran on hate and anger and revenge. They really did, Larry. We're going to get the uh, you know the audit committee. We're going to get Mayorkas out of there. We're going to investigate the Hunter Biden thing. We're going to investigate the Biden family thing. We're going to invest the origins of of COVID. We're going to investigate Fauci. All these others. That's not where we need to go, Larry. We need to be open-armed and loving. And, you know, if you're a tax cutter or a spending restrainer, if you're a sound money guy, you're in our party. We want you as our guys. We are the party of inclusion, not the party of exclusion. You know, there's nothing wrong. It's, it's interesting on the border, which is a disaster and needs to be yes, controlled. You're 100% right. Um, but that should only be part of the message. The other part of the message is, we need a good, strong, merit-based, legal immigration yeah. program, right? And I merit mean, is something very interesting. I mean, if you were Mexican today, Larry, living in Cuatro Cienegas or something like that in, in a bathroom in the below the big plaza there, and you and your three kids and family, what would you do to get to America? Virtually anything. These aren't people to be hated. These are people who really want to be part of our system, be part of our – now, they're going to – we have to do it legally. We have to allow them in. But these are not people we want to lock up in jails. Mm. The mother coming in with her two kids, these are people to understand their circumstances and to see how we can make their lives better as well as ours by limiting in, uh, immigration, by letting it be there where it's a benefit to both sides, making sure that drugs aren't brought over, making sure that terrorists don't come in. All of that control needs to be done to make it correct, not to punish people. You know, it's um, we had a pretty decent uh, immigration reform plan in Trump's last year. It never went you anywhere sure did. in Congress. You sure did. But, you know, talk about merit. Uh, Canada has a merit-based system. Australia has a merit-based system. Great Britain has a merit-based A lot of countries have a merit-based system. So putting that in would be a good thing. It would be great reform. Plus, we shouldn't, we shouldn't make... Uh, Legal immigration candidates wait seven years, 10 years, 15 years, you know? No, I mean, we, we should, should grease not. the wheels. This is an area of deregulation that's very important, overlooked. Very much important. so, Larry. You're so right on this. 
And, you know, the other one that I have an issue on, and I, I don't know exactly where all of your thoughts are on this, but free trade. You know, when you trade with countries, you begin to like your customers, you begin to like your suppliers, you begin to like all the people in the process. And we need to become much more understanding of the rest of the world and they of us. And that's why I think free trade is really a critical path to making peace in this world, uh, to making things happen on the right side of things, not on the wrong side. Plus, free trade is one of the greatest forces of prosperity ever. I mean, the U.S. as a trading nation has been since its inception, and it's really led us to be prosperous. And we I'm really for... need to re And Trump was very good on this as well, by the way. I you mean, know, just we had a lot record, of good. Trump was great. We had a lot of free trade deals uh, overlooked. Yes, you did, and they were good ones. And, and Trump personally, uh, uh, from conversations I had with him, and I'm sure you had with him, he's a free trader. He used the trade as a negotiating ploy, that's for sure. Right. But he did it to get best free trade. You, know, you told me the story, I think, Larry, about what happened in Ottawa before he went to meet with Kim Jong-un, you know, at the G7 meeting there. And he had to leave early. And he sat there and said to the six people he was there, excuse me for leaving because I have to meet with Kim Jong-un. But I am prepared to get rid of all U.S. tariffs and all U.S. non-tariff barriers if you six people will agree to it as well. Yes. And yeah. it was just they looked at their shoes whistling. Oh, well, I don't know. Trump was very understanding of free trade. He looked at me in that. Actually, there was a meeting with Justin Trudeau, a bilateral meeting, when he said that. I had written an op-ed piece uh, in, I don't know, the Journal or Washington Post someplace saying exactly that, that, it, that Trump actually was a free trader. Uh, he wanted end tariffs, non-tariff barriers and subsidies. But the sticking point, and he said this, he said, you guys, it has to be reciprocal. We have to do this together. We have to bring down tariff rates together. Uh, yep. So, so you're right. His heart was in the right place. We had deals with Japan. We had deals with South Korea. Uh, USMCA wasn't perfect. wasn't a bad deal. Um, the Europeans don't want reciprocity, Art, and the Chinese are very difficult. Well, the you know, I Chinese think Trump could have gotten difficult. it from, from, for sure, China. He had a good relationship with Xi. Yeah. And, you know, good relationships go a long way in preventing war, Larry. They go a long way in furthering prosperity. They really do. And I thought Trump had a very good relationship with Xi. And I think if he'd have stayed in office, we could have found ourselves in a lot more free trade without the hostilities and belligerence that's coming out of Xi right now. You know, the dopes in England, I mean, we should be negotiating a U.S.-U.K. free trade deal. That was what we all thought was going to happen. Now, maybe it would have happened in a second term. The Tory party is not in a good, uh, good shape right now. But there's an example of something we could be putting on. The Bidens don't have any interest in it. But the fact is, why not? UK, US free trade deal. Well, you remember when, uh, when Britain voted for Brexit, which is their right. Yep. I mean, they're British. They, they, they can vote for Brexit. And Biden, uh, and not Biden, and Obama said, if you do that, you're last in line. Mm. That's I mean, you know, right. th th we tried to interfere with their elections on Brexit and all of that and, and, and said all the wrong things. We mm -hmm. should have done a trade deal with, with Britain right away. All right. All right. Stay with us. Hang on. I got to take a quick break. I want to come back and sure. continue this conversation and maybe talk about the economic outlook for the new year. Folks, we're talking to the great Art Laffer. Listen to what he says. He's been advising presidents for decades and decades. I'm his acolyte. My name's Cudlow. We'll be right back with Laffer. 
from Wall Street to the White House. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. I'm here with the great Arthur Laffer. Dr. Arthur Laffer is chairman and chief economist of Laffer Associates. He is a Presidential Medal of Freedom recipient. His newest book is called Taxes Have Consequences, an income tax history of the United States. This is the same Art Laffer of the Laffer Curve, the father of supply-side economics. Art, what is, you know, what are you thinking for the new year? What's um, what's the economy going to look like, do you think? Well, I don't really see any policy reversals on anything. I do see a Republican House maybe being a little bit more strong on controlling spending uh, going forward. But, uh, you know, a lot of these Republicans, Larry, have abandoned ship and voted for these big spending bills. I mean, it's just amazing to me. But uh, I think we've got a rough year ahead of us. Not a terribly rough, but, you know, until policies change, I don't see the economy responding and coming back strong. I just don't. Yeah. Um, so I think we're in a long period of secular decline, not in a deep recession sense, but very low growth rates for the next couple of years until those policies reverse themselves. What do you think on the inflation front? Well, we're going to have low inflation for about the next six months because of just the technical aspects of measuring inflation. The headline uh, uh, consumer price index is going to be lower because the numbers dropping off the index for the next six months are going to be very high numbers. Therefore, bringing that number down, maybe down from seven, where is it now, seven, seven and a half percent, down to maybe four, four and a half percent, three in that range. Uh, but then it's all bets are off. Uh, we have to watch these monthly numbers to see how that's going to change. But I don't see anything that has told me that the Fed and uh, Congress and the administration have got the inflation under control. They just don't, Larry. Can an economy survive? I mean, this is a serious question. Can an economy survive, let's say, with a 3 to 5% inflation rate over time? Not really. I mean, 3 to 5 inflation is a very high rate of inflation. Mm. That means you have to build in all sorts of expectations on prices, as well as interest rates, as well as all sorts of factors in there. And it's just really not it, – it's not a tenable long-term solution to inflation. You need to be a very low one, uh, and I would say less than 2%. Uh, you know, we had inflation coming in from the late 70s to the early 80s. And if you'll remember, Larry, I mean, uh, the bank prime got up to 21.5%. Mortgage rates were 17 18%. It was hell on wheels. And, you know, unless we do something now, and by the way, there were large swings in the rate of inflation in those years as well. If, if we don't do something now, that's going to come back to haunt us. You know, one thing, I, I hope the House, uh, I'm going to talk to a couple of House po senior policymakers later in the show. Um, they've got to figure out a way to reopen the fossil fuel spigots. Because, they sure do. You know, I mean, you get oil prices down 40 to 50, let's say 40 to $50 a barrel. The oil companies can make money on that, but that will have a positive impact throughout the economy. I mean, you know, fossil fuels, refined petroleum products affect everything, everything we do, including the clothes we wear, you know, hospital emergency rooms, stethoscopes. There's a million eyeglasses. I mean, there's a million things. People forget about that. Yeah, they do. I mean, it's a huge sector of the economy. Uh, when I mentioned uh, uh, medical transparency and, and enterprise zones, I should have mentioned energy as well. Those are the three specific industry policies that we need to free very, very quickly. 
We need to get medical transparency. We need to have get do just what Reagan did. He got rid of the wellhead price controls. He got rid mm. of the excess profits taxes. Mm. He got rid of the retail price controls in oil and plus 10 other things in there. And the price of oil, Larry, if you'll remember, in I think it was 1984 after doing all of this right away, the price of oil went from $32 a barrel down to $8 a barrel. Mm. And it really launched us into prosperity back then. I mean, it was really helpful. We need that again as well. You're so right to stress energy policy and decontrol and the, and, and the pipelines and all of that needs to be done. How much growth did Reagan produce? You, you had the terrible recession. Everyone was doom and gloom. This, uh, this uh, James Freeman writes about this is very good. Uh, how much growth did Reagan have coming out of the re the recession was like a long one. It's like seventy nine, eighty two, really. Yeah, um, and he, you know, my view on the recession is that he, because he delayed the tax cuts, as right. you know. I don't think it was monetary policy, but most people do. But I'm not going to argue that point here. But from January first, nineteen eighty three, to June thirtieth, nineteen eighty four. Mm. Now that's a that's an eighteen month period, Larry. Uh, 18 month period. In that period, the U.S. economy grew in real terms by 12 percent. 12 percent. We grew at an annual compound rate of 8 percent per annum in real terms for a year and a half. Mm. That changed the whole context of the world. It, it's just, I mean, you can do that again. These guys have screwed things up so badly. That really very simple, look, picking low-hanging fruit like you say in energy and these other areas, if you did that now, you could get growth rates of 7 8% if we did it quickly and did it right. We could just get this rocket ship going. Now, even if we did it gradually, we can get growth rates of 5% for the next four or five years if we could put those policies in, into effect. I mean, monetary uh, policy, just think of what uh, making the dollar as good as gold would do. Mm -hmm. Mm. Uh, if you guaranteed no inflation for the next 10 years, I mean, it would be an incredibly prosperous period. How about taxes that would reward success rather than punish? There you the go. Bi the Bidens want to punish <laughs> success, okay? They, they, I mean, they're going after right now, they release Trump's tax returns. And it's it's such a non-starter. There's nothing there. The, the guy used... Well, you know, he used all the real estate breaks, credits, deductions, and of so forth and so on. Everyone but, does who's but there. Why, right. It's all legal. Uh, why not reward success rather than punish it? Yeah, and why not make a tax code that doesn't have all those? And the one I did for Jerry Brown was a low-rate, broad-based flat tax. We got rid of all the tax deductions, exclusions, et cetera, and the income tax from the first dollar to the last dollar. No deductions, exclusions, exemptions, omissions, none of that. A 13% flat tax rate on your first dollar and your last dollar. Hmm. You, can you imagine what that would do for the economy? I mean, we'd rocket ship through. We'd be selling goods into central China. Hmm. I mean, it's just what we need, and it needs to be done all the way across the board. You not only lower rates, but you get rid of deductions, exemptions, exclusions, omissions, and everyone pays his or her fair share. If you make twice as much as I do, Larry, which you probably make a lot more than that, <laughs> but uh, if you make that, you should pay twice as much more than I do. At the a same tax rate. Tax is the right way to go, and it should have no deductions, exemptions, or exclusions, right. or omissions. At the, same, at the same tax rate. The most successful would pay far more. The top yeah, one percent, the top five, the top twenty percent would pay vastly more. That's what that's what happened during the Reagan years. Yeah, and if you if you saw those illegal uh, releases from ProPublica, 
Every yeah. one of the rich people take all the exempt, but they can. It's perfectly legal. Warren right. Buffett in 2010 said he made about $40 million in taxable income when, in fact, his wealth increased by, by $10 billion. And he gave away two and a half billion. You know, if we had a low-rate, broad-based flat tax with none of these exemptions, he would have paid 1.5 billion, and he'd have been richer, and we'd have been richer. Happy New Year, Arthur Laffer. We love you. Happy New Year. It's a great message. 